into the contest. It is Tuesday, the 5th of April. Welcome to Afternoon Sport. Tim Gilbert here. I'm joined by my co-host, Shane Lee, who I understand has just been packing his bag because... I know it's a few weeks away, but you're that rich in anticipation for your holiday to Port Douglas that you're packing now. Well, it just feels like the kids just go back to school, Tim, and then school holidays are coming up again, so I'm getting ready for that. The good news is, mate, I'm going to do a bit of my own state of origin research. I'm going to go to uh, I'm going to go far north Queensland, mate. I'm going to Port Douglas for a nice little break, mm. so that'll be great. Port Douglas and Cairns and uh, just get away, but uh, I'll still be coming to you live from up there on Afternoon Sport. Yeah, you've got to go to Salsa Restaurant in Port Douglas and then take the kids mm. out on a day trip. I don't know what the status of Green Island from accommodation point of view, but Green and Fitzroy Island, it's absolutely wonderful. I, I was peeling prawns there 30-odd years ago on holidays. <laughs> Amazing part of the world. All right, we've got some cracking stories to talk about today. This mighty Australian women's cricket team, Tiger Woods and the Masters, what's going on there? And Rugby League, are the lesser teams getting the rough end of the pineapple from the referees? John O'Brien is a legend of Australia's beer industry. In 2003, he dreamed of producing a great-tasting beer that could be enjoyed by everyone, free from the ill effects of mass-produced wheat and barley. John began a brewing journey blending unique aromas and flavours offered by ancient grains such as sorghum and millet. He perfected recipes over time which have led to 40 local and international awards, including three gold medals at the Australian International Beer Awards, a gold medal at the Indies and a silver medal at the Beer World Cup. Proudly 100% Aussie-owned, made in Ballarat, O'Brien Beer is Australia's most awarded gluten-free beer and widely available around Australia through major retailers and online at rebellionbrewing.com.au. O'Brien Beer, the beer that loves your back. So bad news for the rest of the women's cricketing world, but Meg Lanning's come out and made it pretty clear that None of them are retiring, Shane. Look, and nor should they if they're really enjoying um, their craft and their sport. And clearly this team um, mm. gels well together. Uh, if you look at the ages, Meg Lenning, the captain, turned 30 during the tournament. So, look, she's definitely got quite a few years left in her. Alyssa Healy's 32. Elise Perry, uh, 31. Rachel Haynes is the oldest at 35. But, uh, yeah, they're going nowhere, um, which is... They have to be careful because you want to be sort of blooding younger talent as well to come along. You don't want to be leaving a big hole like we did in mm. men's cricket in the 80s when uh, Lily, Marsh and Chapel all retired at once and we struggled for many years after that. But as uh, long as we're sort of blooding yeah. new talent, they'll be fine. That does make me feel old. I remember going to Elise Perry's school. I think she was in year 10 wow. to do a cricket show story and she just started to be brought into the, the New South Wales team and now she's into her 30s. Uh, time does tick by, doesn't it? Now, staying on cricket and Western Australia, a 23-year drought, it's uh, coming to an end. It has, mate. And Sean Marsh, captain of the team, probably his last game for WA, I think definitely in the, in the longer format. Uh, at the age of 38, has won his first Sheffield Shield. Uh, WA scored 386 in the first innings. Uh, Victoria followed up with 306, so the game was in the balance. Uh, day four, uh, you saw the West Australians were five for 110 and a chance that Victoria could steal the match away if they could bowl them mm. out. But all-rounder Aaron um, uh, Hardy scored 174 and out, and it was Sam Whiteman who ended up man of the match after scoring 85 in the first innings. He ended up with 123 in the second innings, and then the game was sort of called off after the WA boys uh, reached 400 for seven. So um, congratulations to the West Australian team for winning the Sheffield Shield. 
What do you think of Tiger Woods and the US Masters? What do you reckon is going to happen there? Well, I think this is all marketing. I just don't – I can't see – if he's fit, he's going to be announcing that he's going to play. He's sort of saying, I'll announce it a day out. He is registered to play if he deems himself fit, but I just can't see after that horrific leg injury where he nearly lost his leg and he hasn't really been walking around golf courses for, for more than a few weeks how he could potentially go and play at the right level. Um, saying that, the guy's superhuman, so I don't, I don't know, Tim, but I dare say he won't play this year, but he'll definitely be back next year. But that the point you just make there at the right level is the interesting part of this because mm. obviously once you've won the Masters and he's won it on multiple occasions, you do have that just immediate invitation. And we've seen uh, the late Arnold Palmer, Sam Snead, all these guys come back and play well into their advanced years, Jack Nicholas, and they play – well, they play, but they, um, they, they obviously don't make the cut, but they play the first two rounds. So whether or not we see Tiger Woods do that – whether he's prepared to go out mm. there and not completely compete just to get out there and play a couple of rounds, that would be interesting. But to see him up there um, competing on day four with a red shirt on would seem uh, reasonably fanciful at this stage. Now, rugby union, and um, this is really positive for the game of rugby union in the country. Now, I think uh, we're nearly across the line. We're going to find out in May with the Men's Rugby World Cup for 2027. Uh, Phil Kearns, uh, of course, is leading that bid, and I was chatting with him last Friday. They're, they're extremely confident. And in his words, they're leading 20 to nil with a minute to go. So that's what they're feeling about with the Men's World Cup of 2027. Now, the 2029 Women's World Cup has uh, really got uh, very close now, and we would be the front runners. That would be great for the game, wouldn't it, for men's and women's for rugby union to have a World Cup in a few years' time. Oh, it'd be huge, particularly to, uh, to get the girls here as well in 2029, as you as you mentioned, Tim. Mm. Um, I I just pray that if we do get both of these, that the rugby union um, uh, administration gets their act together and makes the most of this. I think there is a genuine love for the game of rugby union in this country still, mm. and I think it's been run into the ground by administration in previous years. So if they get given this lifeline, they've got to make the most of it. Yeah, and I think they need to break down the school system. They need to get all the... Yep. The, the schools playing against each other, stop this. You know, I know there's great history in the GPS, but they all need to start playing against each other. Any of the rugby union schools need to be in a larger competition where they, you know, that you go up or you come down. And that's a way better way of being competitive going forward in the modern world. And lots of them need to play club rugby. They can't just be, you know, playing in specialist camps. So, look, it is a great game and I love it, but I do think it does need some, uh, some work. Now... AFL Nathan Buckley, well, he's blasted his own Collingwood fans. This was um, interesting, and it, and it won't go down well with some of them because you know how crazy they can be, Collingwood fans, for their team. Well, what's, what's for the Collingwood fans to really turn on Nathan Buckley now? They, I think they believe they supported Nathan Buckley for many years as a player and also as a coach who had very, very little success. Um, and he's come out and he talked about Joel Solwood and how um, Geelong's comeback to beat Collingwood um, and, and they booed, booed him constantly. He mentioned how um, it uh, sort of reminded him of his playing days being booed and he said it's not great. It, it's quite funny how then uh, Chris Scott, the Geelong coach, came out and said, well, I'm not going to buy into this. Uh, people in Melbourne in particular have had two years of being told what to do. I'm not going to tell them what, what to say and what not to say when they come to a game of footy.
Yeah, I, I don't like booers though. I, I mean, I know mm. I know some people just sort of wash it away and say, it, "Oh, it's all part of sport." But I, I don't know. I just I, I don't like booing. Um, it was highlighted in and around that whole Adam Goods fiasco, which was disgraceful from many mm. many fans. And uh, I mean, it was that was obviously a bigger, larger story. But yeah, I'm not a big booing fan. Uh, well, what about um, uh, Richmond coach Damien Hardwick? He's backflipped a day after heaping. Pressure on Victorian Premier Daniel Andrews? Well, just goes to show how much clout uh, AFL, in particular coaches, have in the city of Melbourne. And when Damien Hardwick comes out and he says that he wanted Daniel Andrews to ease restrictions, particularly on close contacts, um, and then it sort of amounted a bit of pressure on, on the government, uh, he's backflipped and said it was it was tongue-in-cheek comment. Well, it, clearly it wasn't. It's really people are struggling with this close contact. Now, we need to get back. We need to treat it like a, a flu. We need to get back to... Back to um, back to work, and particularly when you've got staff and players who aren't able to play due to close contacts, it's really really hard to manage your roster. Yeah, absolutely. This is afternoon sport. We've got so much more on the way. We've got the NRL, F1, soccer, and more. This is an interesting story. Todd Payton took off. I mean, they'd had a good win the week before the Cowboys over Brisbane. But uh, he come out, the Cowboys coach, saying that there is a 50-50 bias um, towards the lesser teams in the competition. So basically, uh, in his eyes, and look, Phil Gould's come out and backed him up on this uh, last night on the television, saying that the, the lesser teams of the competition get the, the rough end of the pineapple, so to speak. Yep, and I think they do. I, I really do. I, I think it's human nature, Tim. I, I used to see it in cricket, and um, you'd hit, uh, you're bowling to a top order batsman, you hit him on the pads, he'd get the benefit of the doubt. If it's Glenn McGrath batting or, or a number 10 or 11, uh, hits him on the pad, they get given out no matter what. And I think it's just human nature that you start to see things or predict things from the better players. Um, and you do this with top teams as well. And I think that's just human nature. There's only one way to get get around that is to not be one of the lesser teams and get to the top of the competition. Yeah, and the other thing is uh, is that they just don't do things as well. So, you know, they, they right. do they do create more moments where they're going to be penalised because they're not doing things as well. It's, that that is the truth. Yeah, and uh, and my mate came out and said that uh, my boxing mate who and I had to agree with him. He said, "Yeah, with the better teams, Paul Gallon, Paul Gallon created pressure in and around that um, to to create those mistakes." So, uh, for once, I, I agree with Paul Gallon. How does this sound, Shane, as you sort of prepare for your trip to Port Douglas? How, how would this little sort of catch cry sound? Ladies and gentlemen, it's sport versus sport. Blue versus blue, the big blue. <laughs> Gallon versus Lee. Mate, I'm a lover, not a fighter, Timmy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'd love to see it. Now, Anthony Griffin, the Dragons coach. Look, that, it was a game of two halves, if I could sort of throw in a lovely little cliche there. But uh, they, they were... They were quite good in the first half, the Dragons, and they fell apart uh, in the second. But he's come out and smashed them. He has. He has, but he hasn't. Uh, I think this potentially will be Anthony Griffin's um, issue moving forward as a coach. He, he never gets totally angry, and he never gets like really, really positive as well. He sort of always sort of sits in the middle there somewhere, and I think with a personality like that, that's where the team's always going to end up. Um, look, he said they did some really good things in the first half, and they did. The Dragons were in and around that, but like any good team – after a break, you've got to switch on, and they didn't switch on. The Eels were so much better, and they made every every point a winner um, after half time. And that 15 minutes where they put on three tries, we're never going to win the game after that. 
We always love it as Australians. We're very proud of who we are and our sports people when things are going well for them overseas. And Ange Postacoglu is just having a cracker, isn't he, in Scotland? And Tommy Rogic there right with him. Unbelievable. Uh, Ange is on the cusp of becoming uh, the Celtic uh, Premiership coach. Um, they beat the Rangers 2-1. They came from 1-0 down, mm. and it was, as Roger, as you said, mentioned, who scored again, Tim, who's just the uh, midfielder uh, extraordinaire at the moment. Um, with mm. six rounds to go, they're six points clear, so they only really need three more points to secure the Premiership title, which would be huge for both Celtic and Ange Costapoglu. What about the UFC story from an Australian perspective? Uh, the great Alexander Volkanovsky has only ever lost one fight, and that was to Sydney <laughs> Crane operator Corey Nelson. <laughs> what a great story! And uh, I don't know what this guy was. Was a guy in a crane at the time? Was he? Was he one of those metal boxers? I don't, I don't know. But uh, yeah, um, in in the Wollongong where I grew up, uh, yeah. Volkanovsky he's uh, he's treated as a legend. There's even a pub named after him down there now. What about Daniel Ricciardo? Um, like, there's always a story about Daniel Ricciardo because. The Formula One focus in Australia. If people love it, they just absolutely love it. And he is the focal point in this country as we look ahead towards the Australian Grand Prix in Melbourne. Um, I read between the lines, it just seems to me that um, Dan Ricciardo is preparing for retirement already. And he seems to be making a lot of comments in the media where he almost wants to go into commentary post-career. He's going back to 2021. We know with Max Verstappen, um, winning that one and the way that he won it, um, he's calling for sort of old school solutions and throw away this growing rule book. And I think that's just society that we live in today. The, the, the rule book's getting larger <laughs> for everyone. Uh, there's mm. more and more rules and a little bit of common sense would, would come into play, would, would make a lot of sense, he believes. Now, Nike as a brand have traditionally always done it so well, haven't they, with with Michael Jordan and Tiger Woods and Roger yep. Federer. They always seem to to get the mark right, whether it's their, their clothing, whether it's their shoes, whether it's the one-liners, whether it's even some of those little docos. But in their, their latest little campaign um, in and around, uh, you know, college sport in America, they haven't quite got it right. No, nah, well, it, this goes back to it was the final game of the season. It was North Carolina uh, beat Duke University. Duke University has been coached by a basketball legend there, a guy called Mike Kreiserwiski, and he had won six titles over his 42 years there. Mm. Um, they call him Coach K. Uh, Knight came out with the slogan, there's no K in championship. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, they, 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 yeah, they, they, they came out saying you can't spell championship without a K. That's you can't right, do yeah. this without a K. And and the and the thing is, is like when you're preaching to a wider audience, children, young people, yeah. they, they, they look, they take it very literally and look at you. What do you mean in championship, <laughs> Dad, Mom? There's no K in chip. So I think Nike, uh, someone uh, has come up with an idea that they didn't quite think out. Uh, completely, but they've confused uh, half the sporting lovers of the United States. Nike definitely won't be sponsoring a, a spelling bee in the future, that's for sure. No, absolutely, absolutely <laughs> not. It's academic. Um, all righty. Now, to wrap it up today, uh, we were talking earlier about the breaking of that drought by Western Australia, and that's where our focus is today. The day the two wars, Stephen and Mark, Tugger and... Junior or Afghanistan. You know, they used to call him Afghanistan, didn't they, Mark? Or the Forgotten War. Um, But how they both scored a couple of hundreds in Perth? 
They did. It was a Sheffield Shield game over there, and both wars, as you mentioned, scored double hundreds. Greg Matthews was the next batsman to come in, and I think at the time when they both reached 100, he said Greg Matthews always looked forward to the evening um, the evening match, and that was post the post-match going out in the nightclubs. Uh, he said if they got a double hundred each, he would wear his cricket pads out. And uh, true to his word, uh, the Wars both got double hundreds and Greg Matthews that night put his jeans on, his circuit shirt on and his white cricket pads on and wore them out all night into every nightclub with his pads on. It was a sight to behold, I will say. Oh, he's some kind of character. That's it for Afternoon Sport today. Make sure you hit follow or subscribe wherever you listen. A big thank you to our sponsors. Our fantastic sponsors in O'Brien Beer, the beer that loves your back. And the great Dan McHugh, our producer. We are back tomorrow with a daily dose of sport. We'll see you then, guys. Take care.